following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We're continuing this morning our series in the Gospel of Luke. We started this series last week, and we're looking at some passages in the Gospel of Luke that cover the ministry years of Jesus. So that's about a three to three and a half year period of time when Jesus was between about 30 and 33 years old, when he engaged in his public ministry in the nation of Israel. So he's going around teaching in synagogues and working miracles and healing. He's apprenticing and training up his disciples. This is his public ministry. And we're looking at some passages that cover that period of time. Last week, we started by looking at the event that really marks the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, which was his baptism. And that was an extraordinary event, an incredible high point, really, in, in Jesus' ministry and his whole life. This moment when, when the Father speaks those incredible words of blessing to his Son. You are my Son. With you I am well pleased. An amazing moment there for Jesus. And the Spirit comes down and anoints him and empowers him for the ministry that lies ahead of him. But the very next event that happens in the life of Jesus, this passage we're looking at today in Luke 4, could not be more of a contrast with what has come before in the baptism of Jesus. You go from the glory of his baptism to the anguish of this temptation that Jesus undergoes as he encounters the evil one, Satan. And you, you're really going from one extreme to the other, from Luke chapter 3 to Luke chapter 4. At the beginning of Luke 4, the passage is introduced by saying that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. And this is the same Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who has just come upon Jesus in the form of a dove and empowered him, now leads him out into this severe time of testing. It's a reminder that the Holy Spirit is not just given to give us joyful feelings, but also at times the Holy Spirit leads us into real times of testing. And so Jesus is led out into this wilderness, and the place that he goes is this desert area south of Jerusalem, still within the nation of Israel. It's a vast, barren desert landscape. It's a really arid kind of environment, really inhospitable to life, just, just huge desert mountains, a lot of rugged and, and rocky hills and cliffs. It's quite barren terrain. Uh, not the kind of place you want to spend a lot of time, especially in summer where the temperatures are absolutely scorching. But this is the, the environment that Jesus is led into, and he spends 40 days there in the Judean wilderness in Yeshimon. And for those 40 days, he doesn't eat anything. He fasts for the whole time. He would have still had access to water. There's streams that flow through that area, and so Jesus would have been able to stay hydrated. But he doesn't have food the whole time that he's there for 40 days. And so you have there at the end of verse 2, the biggest understatement in the Bible, which says at the end of that time, he was hungry. I think that's the very least that you could say about what Jesus experienced at that time. He would have been literally starving. He would have just been wasting away. At the end of, of that time, his body would have been so weakened. He would have been mentally and emotionally depleted. He would have had no energy. He would have just been, been so at such a low ebb by the time those 40 days had finished, in such a place of weakness. And it's in that state 
that then the evil one comes and begins testing him, begins tempting him. And isn't that so often the way that Satan comes to us in our weakest moments? That he comes when we're at our weakest and there he tries to exploit our weaknesses and to tempt us. It's exactly what he did with Jesus. And so Satan comes along and he offers Jesus these, these three temptations. The first temptation, he says in verse 4 or verse 3, he says, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And that's a pretty obvious temptation because Jesus is starving. This is an immediate need that he had, a desperate need that he would have had. And he, he genuinely, I'm sure, would have been tempted by this. It, it's not just that because he was the Son of God, he would have brushed this off. I mean, he was also fully human. He would have desperately craved food. He would have loved to have been able to produce food for himself right there. And, and then there's nothing that he would have wanted more. And yet, by the power of the Spirit, Jesus is able to summon the strength to resist that temptation and say to the evil one, man shall not live by bread alone, quoting the words of Scripture. And so what Jesus chooses to do is to trust himself to the Father for the Father's provision of his needs, the Father's provision to sustain him rather than just taking things into his own hands and providing for his own immediate satisfaction. He trusts his Father. And so then Satan tries again. And he takes Jesus up to a high place this time. And he says in verse 6, I will give you all their authority and splendor. He's showing him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I will give you all their authority and splendor if you just worship me then it will all be yours. And what I find intriguing about that temptation is that really Satan is offering something to Jesus that Jesus was always going to receive. Jesus was always going to receive authority over the kingdoms of the, of the world. He was the Messiah. This was the promise of God in the Old Testament. The Messiah would establish God's kingdom. He would rule over the nations. God always intended to give Jesus authority to, to enable him to rule and reign over the nations. But really what Satan is doing here, he's coming to Jesus and saying, you can just have it now. Why don't you just take it? Why don't you just take the prize now and, and save yourself all of the suffering? And you can bypass the cross and you can bypass all of that humiliation, all of that suffering, and you can just take the authority now. But Jesus again resists that temptation with the words of Scripture saying, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he trusts God to provide that authority at the right time in the right way. He entrusts the Father to give him that authority and not to try and take that for himself and to try and shortcut the road that God the Father was taking him on. So again, Jesus entrusts himself into the care of his heavenly Father. And so Satan then tries one final time. He leads him up and stands him on the highest point of the temple. And he says to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off this temple and the angels will catch you. Satan even tries here to use the words of scripture against Jesus. He's catching on to Jesus' technique now. He tries to use the Bible against him. And Jesus knew again that he could do this if he wanted to. I mean, he says on the cross, I, I could call down legions of angels at his disposal but he knew also that, that to do that, to jump from the temple and, and just trust God to catch him, would be kind of to use God like a genie in a bottle. Would be to make demands of his heavenly father, to try and force God's hand, to push God into doing something and just to use God to, 
get Jesus to fix his immediate problems. And Jesus doesn't want to have that kind of relationship with his heavenly father. He knows that is not the way things are going to work. And so again, he rebuffs the devil with the words of scripture and says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He refuses to test God, but instead he chooses to trust his father. And so after those three temptations, Satan then leaves Jesus. We're told that he leaves him until an opportune time. And we know that's not the last time that Satan tests and tempts Jesus in the Gospels. There's many, many other times throughout Jesus' ministry where Satan is constantly trying to agitate Jesus, constantly trying to oppose him. We don't always see Satan directly, but we see him working through other people and other circumstances all the way through Jesus' ministry, all the way to the cross, where Jesus ultimately wins the final victory over Satan and finally robs him of his ultimate power and his ultimate authority. That's really the victory that these temptations are pointing towards, the final showdown that happened at the cross. In order to understand the story of Jesus' temptations more fully and understand the depth that is here, there are two other stories in the Old Testament that form a background to the story of Jesus' temptation. And I just want to quickly talk through those stories because they really provide the backdrop. The first is the story all the way back in Genesis 3 of Satan's first temptation, the temptation of Adam and Eve. And when you read those stories side by side, there's some similarities there between the temptation of Eve and the temptation of Jesus. Both of those temptations involved food. In the garden, it was fruit. Now with Jesus, it's bread. In both cases, Jesus, a Satan, tries to twist the words of God and undermine God's credibility. In the garden, he says, did God really say you couldn't eat from any of the trees? Here in the temptation of Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God, you know, subtly undermining, is Jesus really the son that God's declared him to be? And so you have the sense here where just as Adam and Eve faced this critical temptation, in the Garden of Eden that so much depended on that decision. Now Jesus is coming along and is, is kind of reliving that moment. He's reliving that first temptation. And now he makes a choice of obedience. He makes a choice of trust where Adam and Eve just took the fruit and seized it, took it for themselves. Jesus chooses not to do that. Instead, he entrusts himself to his father. He does what Adam and Eve should have done all the way back in Genesis 3. And then the other story that comes around this and forms a backdrop is the story of Israel in the wilderness, the Exodus story. And any Jewish person who is listening to the story of Jesus' temptation would have immediately started to pick up on these similarities. You have Jesus going into the wilderness. Well, who else went into the wilderness in the Old Testament? Israel, of course, was led out of Egypt into the wilderness. Jesus is there for 40 days. Israel wandered in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. So there's these parallels right there. In fact, in the Old Testament, Israel is called the son of God. God addresses Israel as his son. So you have in the Old Testament, the son, Israel, going through the wilderness, experiencing this temptation. They were tested. They were tested as to their faith in God. They were tested whether they would trust God. And more often than not, they failed the test. And they complained they grumbled against God. They grumbled against God's leaders and spokespeople. They refused to trust God for their, their success and their future and their victories in, in battle and so on. 
They failed, they failed, they failed. But now here is Jesus who comes along as the new Israel. And he, again, he's in the wilderness. He's reliving this Exodus story. He's reliving that same stage of Israel's journey. And now he is choosing obedience. Where Israel chose disobedience and unfaithfulness, Jesus is now choosing obedience. And he's choosing faithfulness. And when you put those two stories together, and you bring those into this narrative of Jesus' temptation, it gives you a much deeper view of what is going on in this story. And what you realize is that in this temptation, Jesus is acting as our representative. This is the fundamental thing that I want you to understand this morning. As Jesus goes through these temptations, he is acting as our representative. He's not just experiencing these temptations for himself, and as his own personal test before God, he is functioning as a representative of Israel and as a representative of all humanity. Just as Adam and Eve faced that test in the garden and all humanity hung in the balance and they got it wrong and the, and the results have been disastrous for all of us. Now Jesus comes along as the new Adam. He gets it right where Adam and Eve got it wrong. And so now we can be joined to this new Adam. We all used to be represented by the old Adam. We used to be under Adam's sin. He was our representative. But now we can choose to belong to the new Adam. We can be united to Jesus. And, and therefore, Jesus' faithfulness and obedience in temptation becomes ours. That life of the new Adam is ours by faith as we're joined to Jesus. He's our representative. And in the same way, because Jesus is the new Israel, we can choose either to be identified with the old Israel and all of that disobedience, or now we can choose to be identified with the new Israel. Jesus himself, this community that he's forming, we can become part of that new community of people who are reconciled to God and share in all that Jesus has done for us. So when you see Jesus here functioning as our representative in these temptations, it really opens up a new way of seeing this passage and a new way of responding to it. I mean, I found this, you know, my, my response to this passage now is quite different to what it used to be. I used to read this passage and just feel this, this pressure to try and resist temptation like Jesus did. I don't know whether you feel that, to, to try and have the sort of strength to be able to do what Jesus did here, resist those kinds of temptations in that kind of state, and I know I'd never be able to do it. I'd, I'd fall way short of that, and so then that makes me feel guilty. And those kinds of feelings used to be my response to reading that passage. But now, when I can see Jesus as my representative in this passage, I have a totally different response. My response now is not guilt and pressure, it's relief it's relief because in this passage, I see Jesus doing for me what I could never do for myself. I see him facing temptation for me as my representative. I see him facing the evil one for me, fighting the battle that, that I could never fight and win. I see him overcoming temptation for me. I see him gaining the victory over Satan for me. All of that that Jesus does in the wilderness he has done on our behalf. It's like he's reliving the script of humanity, but now he's getting it right. And because we are joined to him in faith, if we belong to Jesus, that victory is ours. Jesus' victory over temptation is ours. His victory over sin is ours. 
His victory over Satan is ours. He has won that for us and we share in it because of Jesus. That's good news. I mean, that's the gospel. That's grace. And fundamentally, that, that's what this passage should do for us, is give us an appreciation of Christ as our representative and fill us with gratitude that he's already fought this battle for us and won it. That should change the way you read this passage. I know that might be a new way of looking at things, but go back and look at that again and read the story seeing Jesus there as your representative. Now, once you have that in place, and once you understand Jesus as your representative in this story, then we can see Jesus here as our example. Jesus is our example in this passage, and I don't want to avoid that. But I've really wanted to get that foundation in place of seeing Christ as our representative because we really can't follow Jesus as our example until we accept him as our representative. Otherwise, we just run out there, we try and do what Jesus did in this passage, try and withstand temptation and the evil one. And, and if we're just doing that on our own out of some desire to just be like Jesus, we're dead in the water. This has got to come out of a place of first knowing I already share in the victory Christ has won. And we stand in that. And that, that's really freeing. That's really liberating. And out of that, then we can draw strength to follow Jesus. And he does give us here an example of how we can face temptation and how we can resist the attacks of the evil one in our lives. Because we do continue to face temptation. Christian or non-Christian, we, we all know this. We face temptations every single day. Temptations of the ways we speak, falling into bad habits, going back to addictions, our patterns of thinking, our patterns of acting and reacting and responding. We are constantly facing temptation to sin. And we do see here Jesus as our example, but only after we've seen him as our representative. So let me just then briefly touch on two ways in which we see Jesus being our example in this passage. And they simply are these, that Jesus shows us the power of the Spirit and the power of the Word. Simple things. We see them both in this passage. We see, for example, the Holy Spirit. And you see at the beginning of Luke chapter 4, the Spirit is the one who leads Jesus into the wilderness. And then at the end of this narrative, in verse 14, Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit has been with him right through this time. And even though the Holy Spirit's not mentioned specifically in connection with the temptations, we know the Holy Spirit was there with Jesus. He's already been anointed and empowered for his ministry. And Jesus was able to draw on the fullness of the Spirit's power in resisting these temptations. And then additionally to that, Jesus draws on the power of the word. And you see that consistently as he responds to the devil. He doesn't just rebuff Satan, but he comes back to the words of Scripture. He says, it is written. It is written. It is said. He recognizes there is power in the word. And he draws on that. So Christ is drawing both the power of the spirit and the power of the word as he faces temptation. And there's incredible wisdom for, for, for us in that, isn't there? Let me uh, tell you the story of this famous psychologist, Roy Bowmeister. Uh, he did a, an experiment back in the 1990s, I think, uh, a, a psychological experiment where he got these two groups of people and he gave them two different scenarios of temptation. So the first group, 
he had them in a room and he had a bowl of chocolate chip cookies. And he told them, you have to try and resist that temptation to eat those cookies. Do your best to resist. The other group, he put on the table a bowl of radishes. And he said to this group, you have to try and summon the, the willpower to resist the temptation to eat the radishes. So he gave them each an equal period of time there to try and resist the temptations. And then after that, he took away the, the cookies and the radishes and he put in front of them these complex maths problems that were actually unsolvable problems. And he said, now, can you get to work on these and try and solve them? And what he found is the people who had been tempted by the chocolate chip cookies didn't spend as long trying to solve the maths problems. They gave up much more quickly. The people who had been tempted by the radishes persevered a lot longer trying to figure out the maths problems. And this experiment has been repeated numerous times and the same results every time. The people that are tempted by chocolate or by something more appealing to them then seem to have less perseverance to do the maths equations afterwards. And what Baumeister and other psychologists have concluded from this is that we have this supply of willpower as human beings. We have this kind of willpower commodity within us, but it is limited. It is finite and it runs out. And what had happened to the people attempted by the chocolate chips is their willpower had been so used up trying to resist the chocolate chip cookies, they didn't have much willpower left to try and persevere with complex maths problems. But the people tempted by the radishes, they didn't need to use up as much willpower because they weren't as tempted by radishes. They had more willpower left to use in persevering in the maths equations. And so Baumeister is saying willpower is a limited supply and it depletes. We deplete our willpower as we use it. And what that means for us, we think about this from a Christian perspective. As we face temptations in our life of all different kinds, we have this thing called willpower that we just possess as human beings. And it's real. We have willpower. We have kind of a, a self-control mechanism. But it is limited. It is very finite. And it gets depleted as we use it. There's only so much of it and it goes down and then eventually it's, it's gone before it gets somehow topped up again. And that means as we face temptation, if we are purely relying on our own willpower, if we're going out there and we're just relying on the willpower we have, yes, you, you, you'll make some progress, but not much. I mean, you might get some gains in your life, but if that's all we have, our willpower is just going to be depleted. What we need to do is draw on the infinite resources that are there through Christ and the Spirit and the Word. And all of that is just pouring out of this passage. This is not about trying to summon more willpower. That is... That is a very weak engine when it comes to temptation. This story is about recognizing I face temptation from this position that I'm already accepted and loved in Jesus and he's already fought and won this battle for me. That's my starting ground. Then I know that in the moments of temptation, Christ is with me and he's with you right there in the moments of greatest struggle and greatest weakness. Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit is there. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead gives life to our bodies, gives life to our, our hearts. And we can draw on the resources of the Spirit in those moments when it's hard. The Bible says, greater is he who is within you 
than he who is within the world. The power of the Spirit within you is greater than the battles that you're facing, greater than the temptations that are coming against you. The Holy Spirit is greater even than that addiction that is pulling you and you, you feel powerless to resist it. Well, yes, on your own, you're powerless. And in your own strength and by your own willpower, you're powerless, but not according to the infinite resources of the Holy Spirit. God has given us everything we need, Scripture says, for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. He's placed his spirit in you and his spirit has the power that you need to respond to the struggles that you're facing. And then on top of that, we have the power of the word, the power of scripture. And I want to encourage you not to underestimate the power of scripture as you face temptation. It's a very practical place to start and a very practical tool to use. You think about those moments when you face temptation, whatever it is, temptation to get angry, uh, temptation to, to harbor thoughts that you shouldn't be having, uh, temptation to speak negatively about someone behind their back, temptation to go back to some unhealthy old habits or get sucked back into that addiction or whatever it is. In those moments, there is such tremendous power in drawing on the Word of God. Is there a Bible verse that relates to that specific struggle that you're facing? Is there, is there a scripture that you could commit to memory that, that kind of connects into that particular vice that you've got, that you just keep finding yourself going back to? If you can't think of a particular Bible verse, just use the, the scripture that Jesus quoted there in that second temptation where he said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I mean, that'll do. That's, that's, a, that's a catch-all for every temptation. And just say to yourself, speak it out loud, right in the, in the midst of the battle. Just speak those words, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And you will find, and, and I, I've done this with, with other verses of scripture, you find in those moments, when you speak scripture, there is power there. And suddenly there is another voice in the conversation. Suddenly it's not just all the voices in my head anymore. Suddenly it's not just the voice of the evil one trying to drag me away and, and lure me into whatever. Now there is another voice and it's the voice of truth. And it's the voice of scripture. And it's the voice of the Spirit. It's the voice of the Father. And that just brings a tremendous sense of encouragement and power there. Yes, we've still got our choices to make, and yes, we're still susceptible to temptation. But there is there's great power. There's a reason that in Ephesians, Paul talks about the Bible as the sword of the Spirit. It is the one offensive weapon that we've got in this battle to withstand the attacks of the evil one. We have the sword of the Spirit, so for heaven's sake, let's use it. Let's, let's have the word planted deeply in our hearts. Let's read it. Let's commit parts of it to memory so that when those moments come along, there is a real weapon there that we can use. And maybe part of the reason that you, you, you find yourself losing battle after battle after battle is you're not using the weapons that are right there for you, in particular, the word of God. And the truth is, of course, we can do all of these things and there's still many times we're going to fail. This is just life, isn't it? It's just reality. There's still many, many times you and I are going to succumb to temptation. We are weak and we're sinful people and we're going to get it wrong. And it's going to happen a lot. And it's in those moments that another temptation comes along, which is the temptation towards self-pity. It's the temptation of self-rejection. It's the temptation of feeling condemned. And we feel in those moments like we're hopeless and we're worthless and we're never going to get it right. But it's exactly in those moments when we need to come back 
to the real truth of this passage, the real big idea in this passage, which is that Jesus is my representative. He's not just a model of facing temptation. He's my representative, and he's already gone ahead of me. He's gone through the wilderness for me. He's fought the fight for me, and he's won that battle for me, and I can stand upon that, even in those moments when you lose the battle, even in those moments, particularly in those moments when you lose the fight. Please know that you are still in Christ. Jesus still is there with you. He loves you. You are forgiven. You are freed from sin through him. And even on your very worst days, you still sit with Christ in the heavenly places and your identity is still fully grounded in him. Don't ever lose sight of that. I pray that's what you'd be encouraged by in this passage this morning. More than anything, this isn't a passage about you. This is a passage about Jesus and just how incredible he is and what he has done for us. So be encouraged by that. I pray that you'd Take strength from seeing what Christ has done from you and all the benefits that have flowed to you and I because of that. And I pray then that out of that, out of that deep assurance that we belong to Christ and we stand under the new Adam, the new Israel who has faced this battle for us, that out of that assurance, you would gain the strength next time you face that moment of temptation, next time you you face that moment when the evil one tries to rush in there and tempt you, that you would draw strength from this passage, from the risen Lord Jesus Christ, from the Holy Spirit who lives within you, from the Word of God planted in your heart, to be able to resist the attacks of the evil one, stand firmly on the foundation of Christ, cling to him, and stand your ground in the midst of temptation. I pray you'd be encouraged. pray God would bless you. I pray that you would know that if God is for you, who can be against you? Let me pray. Jesus, we haven't always appreciated just how hard that temptation was for you. It's easy to kind of just gloss over that because you are the Son of God, but Jesus, we, we see in this story just how anguishing that time in the wilderness was and how brutal those temptations must have been and and how fierce that battle with the evil one was. But we just are so grateful, Jesus, that you went through all that for us. Just as you went to the cross for us, you also faced these temptations for us. And, and Jesus, we are just humbled by that, that you would go through all this out of your love for us, and that even though we are so weak, and we're so broken, and we're so susceptible to temptation, we thank you, Jesus, that we are loved and accepted in you. I want to just pray now, God, for the situations of temptation that people are facing, who are listening to and watching this message this morning. Lord, you know all the struggles. You know the battles. You know the areas where we're fighting. You know the areas where we're losing. And I pray, God, that you would pour fresh power into every life, that you would pour fresh hope into every heart, and that you would pour fresh assurance into every soul that we are accepted. We are loved in you. And we have your strength through your death and your resurrection to face every battle that lies ahead of us. Thank you that we don't face those things on our own, but with you in your power and upon the foundation of your word. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We pray it in your name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, 
or for more information on Shore Community Church, visit www.shore.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shore.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.